Hi, join your co-host Lisa as I explore the captivating world of Sword Art Online Progressive Volume 1. Together, dive into the depths of Aincrad alongside Carido and Asuna, as they embark on an epic journey filled with danger, friendship, and adventure. From the exhilarating battles to the tender moments of connection, experience the immersive storytelling that has captivated audiences worldwide. Tune in now to join Lisa on this unforgettable adventure through the virtual realm of Sword Art Online. Chapter 1 Aria of a Starless Night Aincrad 1 ST Floor, November 2022 1. Just once, I saw a real shooting star. It wasn't during summer vacation, it was from the window. Of my house. Four people living in town with Chris Bear, and Truly dark nights, shooting stars are not uncommon, but Unfortunately, Kawaga City of Saitama Prefecture, where I have lived for all 14 years of my life, has neither of those qualities. Even on a clear night, the most that can be seen with the naked eye are second magnitude stars. But, late one midwinter night, when I happened to glance outside my window on a whim, I definitely saw it. On that Deep night without many stars, the city lights formed a pallid shroud covering the sky. And in an instant, it was cut. Through by a quick flash of light. My soon-to-be fifth grade. Self-thought childishly, I must make some kind of wish. Which up to that point was fine, but the wish that appeared. In my mind was, I wish my next monster drop will be a rare item, without a hint of feeling in it. I suppose it sprang from the fact that I was playing an MMORPG I was hooked on at the time. The shooting star I glimpsed that day, I saw once again. Three, or was it four, years later, glowing with the same color, moving with the same speed. However, this time, I didn't see it with the naked eye, nor was I beneath a dark gray night sky. I saw it in the depths of a gloomy dungeon, produced through a nerve gear, the world's first full sensory type. VR interface. One could describe the fight as bloodcurdling. The level 6 humanoid monster, Ruin Cobalt Trooper, was swinging a barbaric hand axe, and the person fighting the cobalt was barely able to dodge. I felt a chill run down my back as I watched the battle. But after the player dodged three consecutive strikes, the cobalt completely lost its balance and, without missing that chance, the person used a sword skill at full strength. It was the first skill that could be learned in the rapier. Category, the single thrust attack linear. It was a simple, basic skill that consisted of thrusting straight forward by first holding the sword in front of the body and then putting in a twist from there, but the speed was terrifying. Clearly, the speed hadn't been left to the system motion assist alone, but was boosted by the player's own movement. Commands During the beta test, I had seen with my own eyes. Numerous party members and enemy monsters use this very sword skill countless times. But this time, I could not see the rapier itself, only the trajectory drawn by the light. Effect that was characteristic of sword skills. That pure white flash, as it pierced through the darkness of the dimly lit dungeon, made me recall the shooting star from that day. The rapier user continued to dodge the cobalt's three strike combo, following with a counterattack using linear. After using this attack defend pattern three more times, the player finished off the armed beastman, one of this labyrinth's stronger monsters, without a single wound. Despite this, the battle didn't seem to have been an easy one. Once the lethal sword skill had pierced the center of its chest and the monster dispersed into particles as it collapsed backwards, the rapier user then staggered as if pushed by the insubstantial polygon shards and leaned back onto the corridor wall. The person slowly slid against the wall down to a sitting position and began breathing heavily. The person didn't seem to notice me standing about 15 meters away at the corner of the intersection. 
to wordlessly distance myself and find my own prey was. My normal procedure. A month ago, on that eventful day, I decided to selfishly live as a solo player. Ever since that day, I have never approached a lone person. The only exception was if I saw a player in battle who was clearly in danger, however, the rapier user's HP gauge was still near full. At the very least, the person didn't seem to need the help of some busybody at all. Even so, after about five seconds of deliberation, I left the shadows of the intersection and strode toward the still-sitting rapier. User. Skinny figure, somewhat slender. The torso was equipped with a dark red leather tunic with a lightweight copper breastplate, while the lower body was dressed in neat leather pants with boots up to the knees. A hooded cape cloaked the body from head to below the waist so the face could not be seen. Other than the cape, the equipment seemed to be that of a fencer, but my own appearance as a swordsman was almost the same as well. My beloved sword, Anil Blade, the reward from a high-difficulty quest, is very heavy. So, to keep my skills on point, I wear very little metal armor, just a small chest guard with a dark gray leather coat over it. Noticing my approaching footsteps, the rapier users' shoulders trembled suddenly, but didn't move any further. The fact that I wasn't a monster should have been revealed by a green-colored cursor in that person's view. He had his face buried deep behind raised knees, giving a strong, just pass by and move on impression, but I stopped about two meters from the rapier user and opened my mouth. That was an extreme overkill just now. The small shoulders covered by the thick cloth of the cape moved slightly again. The hood jerked, moved up about five centimeters, and from the darkness within, two pupils sharply shot towards me. The only thing I could discern were light, brown irises. The features of the face couldn't be seen at all. For a few seconds, the rapier user continued to watch me with that same sharp gaze he used in the battle earlier, but eventually his head tilted slightly to the right in an I don't get it kind of gesture. Seeing that, I thought, so it's as I thought. For what looked like solo play to me, there was one huge incongruity. The linear released by the rapier user was so perfect that I couldn't help but shiver. The conciseness of the pre-motion and post-motion, and, most of all, the speed of the thrust that prevented perception of the rapier itself. Never. Before have I beheld such a terrifying and beautiful sword. Skill. So from the beginning, I thought that he must similarly be a beta tester. Before this world became a death game, extensive battle experience must have been accumulated to attain this speed. However, seeing Linear a second time, I had doubts about my guess. The skill was perfect, but the pace of battle was too risky. Certainly, minimal sidestep. Defense has a higher counterattack speed over parrying or blocking and won't decrease weapon slash armor durability. However, in exchange, when the defense fails, the danger is the greatest. At worst, counter damage may be applied and a stun could occur. In solo battles, a stun is fatal. The imbalance between the perfect sword skill and the risky defense tactics for some reason I wanted to know. The reason why, no matter what. That's why I moved closer. And greeted the person, saying that no matter what the. Circumstances were, it was overkill. However, the opponent didn't seem to understand the well-known net game term. Meaning, the rapier user in front of. Me was not an original beta tester. Not only that, he might. Not even have been an MMO player, before coming here. I took a short breath, and explained anew. Overkill means, in comparison to the monsters remaining. HP, the damage dealt was way too much. The kobold. 
Earlier was almost dead after the second linear, no, it was practically dead already. Its HP gauge had only two or three dots remaining. Instead of finishing it with a sword, skill, a light normal attack would have been more than enough. In this world, how many days, how many weeks had it been since I had talked so much? Pondering that question, I closed my mouth. Even after listening to my speech, the fruit of my hard work and poor speaking skills, the rapier user had no reaction for over 10 seconds. Just when I thought I hadn't managed to get through, a small voice finally slipped through the lowered hood. Overkill, is there any problem with it? At that moment, I belatedly realized this rapier user huddled in front of me was one of this world's extraordinarily rare, especially in the depths of a dungeon. Like this, female players. It had already been a month since the official launch of the world's first Remorpk sword art online. By this time, the average MMO would begin to see players approaching the level cap, and the world map should have been explored from end to end. However for SAO, even the current top class group was barely level 10, I didn't know how high the cap was, but there was no way that could have been it. The floating castle Aincrad, where the game is staged, had only been conquered by a few percent in total as well. The reason was that the current SAO was a game that wasn't a game, in a sense, it had become a jail. Manual. Logout wasn't possible and death of the avatar amounted to death of the real player. With these conditions, not many people entered dungeons filled with dangerous monsters and traps. Also, after the game master forced all avatars to be the same gender as their real-world players, females were very rare. Even after a month, I think almost all of them still stayed in the starting city, in the first sizable dungeon, the first floor labyrinth. One, I have seen female players, only two or three times, and they were all members of big parties. That's why I would never have imagined the solo rapier. User I met in an unexplored area of the labyrinth would be a female player. For a moment, I thought about mumbling an apology and leaving the area. It wasn't because I found fault with the kind of male players that always spoke out to any female player they saw. I just sincerely didn't like to be thought of that way. On the other hand, if the opponent had said something like, it's my choice or leave me alone, I would have said I see and left immediately. However, the rapier user's curt reply had been a question. So, I stopped myself from moving away at the last minute, and once again answered by desperately putting to use all my language skills. Overkill has no penalty or demerit from the system, but, it's bad for efficiency. Sword skills require concentration, so using them continuously is mentally exhausting. There's also the return path, so it's better to not fight in a way that makes you tired. Return path? Again, a questioning voice emanated from deep inside the hood. Fatigue made it very faint and the intonation was also thin, but regardless, I thought her voice was quite beautiful. Of course, that's not something I'd say out loud, though. Instead, I explained once more. Yes. It takes about an hour to get from here to the labyrinth exit, and from there, to the closest town is about 30 minutes even when moving quickly, right? Exhaustion. Increases mistakes. You look like a solo player, and for a single person, any small mistake might cost you your life. While my mouth moved, I asked myself, why am I speaking, with all my might? Because the opponent is female, that couldn't be the reason, since I had given a long speech. Before knowing that, if I were her, and an upper-rank person had lectured me, like this, I would have said, it's my choice, so leave me alone, or something like that. 
So, with my personality and actions rather at odds, I was about to break a sweat, when the rapier user finally replied. Then, there's no problem. I'm not returning. What? And not returning to town? But, replenishing. Potions, repairing equipment, and sleep, I asked, dumbfoundedly. The rapier user's shoulders shook. Slightly. I don't need medicine when I'm not taking damage, and I bought five of the same sword, as for resting, I use the nearby safe area. As the murmur faded, I was speechless for a while. Safe areas were certain rooms in a dungeon that monsters would not enter. A safe area could be recognized by a special colored torch placed on the wall in each of its four corners. While hunting and mapping, it's a nice place, but, even so, it could only be used for maybe an hour of short rest. The floor was made of cold stone and of course there was no bed, and the footsteps or growls of nearby monsters could be heard frequently. No matter how courageous a player was, deep sleep was absolutely impossible. But, based on what I just heard, this rapier user had been using a safe area in lieu of a town inn and has continued secluding herself in the labyrinth, is that what she means? How many hours has it been? I fearfully inquired. The rapier user answered after taking a long breath. Three days, or four days, is that all? The monsters, around here will revive soon, so I'll be going. With her delicate left hand wrapped in a thick leather glove, she pushed off the wall and stood up unsteadily. Her still unsheathed slender sword drooped down heavily. As if she were holding a two-handed sword one-handedly, and the rapier user turned her back to me. As she took one, two steps away from me, her cape was in. Tatters all over, revealing that much of its durability had been lost. No, for cloth equipment that had been used for a four-day hunting expedition, the mere fact that it had maintained its shape was a miracle. The earlier as long as I don't take damage comment might not have been an exaggeration. After realizing that, I spat out some unthinkable words to her slender back. If you fight like that, you will die. Suddenly stopping, the rapier user leaned her shoulder on the right wall and turned around slowly. From within the hood, her eyes, which I had seen were hazel before, pierced. Through me with a light red inner glow. Everyone is going to die anyways. The hoarse, cracked sound made the cool labyrinth air even colder. In just one month, two thousand people have died, and still not. Even the first floor has been cleared yet. It isn't possible to clear this game. Where and how you die, and whether it's sooner or later, is the only difference. The longest, most emotion-filled speech that I had heard up until now faltered in the middle and trailed off. In front of me, as I stepped forward in reaction, the rapier user was struck by an invisible paralyzing attack and slowly sank to the floor. Two, as she was falling to the dungeon floor, a prosaic thought drifted through her mind. How is it possible to faint in a virtual space? Loss of consciousness meant the brain's normal blood flow was momentarily delayed, and its function stopped. The reason for this ischemia could be a malfunction in the heart or blood vessels, anemia or low blood pressure, hyperventilation or many other reasons, but while full diving in a VR world, the physical body is resting on a bed or reclining chair. Furthermore, the physical bodies of the players imprisoned by this death game SAO were probably currently placed in a hospital, their health would obviously be checked and continuously monitored, and if necessary, even medicine would be used. It's hard to believe that loss of consciousness would be due to some physical abnormality. After she thought that far within her fading consciousness, at the end she thought, that kind of thing doesn't matter. Yes, nothing matters to me anymore. Because, she will die here. Fainting in a dungeon full of violent monsters, there was no way she would be.
unharmed. There was another player nearby, but she did not think he would go so far as to endanger his life to help. Another who had fallen. Anyway, how could he help? In this world, the maximum weight a single player can carry is strictly limited by the system. In the depths of a dungeon, everyone carries medicine and extra equipment to their weight limit, leaving space for monster drops such as gold and items. With all those combined, the act of carrying a whole person is absolutely impossible. Upon thinking to this point, she finally realized something. What she thought as she was hit by a strong sense of dizziness and she fell to the ground was, finally, I can relax without thinking for a long time. The hard stone floor of the dungeon was what should have been under her body, but somehow, the feeling against her back was curiously soft and fluffy. Her body felt warm and a light breeze caressed her cheek. She opened her eyes with enough force to make a sound. She was no longer in a dungeon lined by thick walls. She was in a clearing in a forest, surrounded by old trees, covered in golden moss and thorny brushes with small flowers, at the center of a round space of about seven or eight meters in diameter, she seemed to have been lying on a soft carpet of grass while unconscious, no, asleep. But, why? How had she, who had fallen in the depths of the dungeon, been moved to this faraway field? The answer to that question was found when she turned her view 90 degrees to the right. At the edge of the clearing, there was a gray silhouette crouching over the root of a particularly majestic tree. He held a somewhat large one-handed sword, both arms, and its sheath was propped up under his lowered head. Long black hair covered his face so that it couldn't be seen, but judging from his equipment and physique, there was no mistaking that he was the male player who had spoken with her before she fainted in the dungeon. Most likely, that man had used some kind of method to move her out of the dungeon to this forest after she had fallen. She quickly looked past the grove of trees, Forest Indiana. The background. On the left side, about 100 meters away, a huge tower reaching up to the sky, the first floor. Labyrinth of Aincrad stood towering above there in deep. Black. She returned her gaze to her right again. Sensing her movement, the man's dark gray leather coat. Covered shoulders shook and he lifted his head slightly. Even in the bright midday forest, the man's two eyes were. Black, like a starless night. The moment her eyes met his dark-colored eyes, she felt. Small fireworks exploding in her head. From between her grinding teeth, Asuna, Yuki Asuna, forced out a low, hoarse voice. Unnecessary, effort. After being imprisoned in this world, Asuna had asked. Herself hundreds and thousands of times. Why, at that time, did she touch a new game machine that. Was not even hers? Why did she place it on her head, lie. Down on the mesh, recliner, and issue the start command? The Dream VR interface and cursed killing machine, Nerve Gear, and the game disc of the prison oven. Immeasurable number of souls, Sword Art Online, hadn't been purchased by Asuna, but by her older brother, Kuichiru. However, even for her brother, things like the MMORPGs or anything with the name of game had been unrelated to his life since his youth. Born as the first son to the president of the huge electronics manufacturing company Recto, he had grown up while receiving all the education and training needed for him to become his father's successor, and at the same time being excluded from everything unnecessary to that. Why that brother of hers would be interested in Nerve Gear, no, in SAO, was something that she did not, even now, understand. Ironically, however, Koichiro would not be able to play the first game he bought in his life. On the first day of games, official service, he was sent on a business trip overseas. On the day before his departure, when facing her from his seat, 
At the dining table, he had complained about it jokingly, but she sensed that he genuinely had regrets about it. Though not as extreme as Koichiro, the only experience of game playing that Asuna, a third-year middle school student, had previously had up until now were free games. On her cell phone once in a while, she knew about the existence of net games, but with high school entrance. Exams closing in, she had no reason or motivation to be interested in them, or that was how it should have been. That's why even she couldn't explain why, on that day one month ago, on the afternoon of November 6, 2022, she had visited her brother's vacant room, taken the fully set up nerve gear from the top of his desk, placed it on her head, and said, link start. From just one action, everything changed on that day, no, it could be said to have ended. In the beginning, Asuna had locked herself within an inn. Room in the starting city to wait for the incident to end, but after two weeks passed with no word from the real world, she gave up hope on being saved from outside. Also, having learned that the number of player deaths had already reached over 1,000 at that time and yet in spite of that even the first dungeon had not been broken. True, she realized that waiting inside for the game to be cleared was useless. The only remaining choice was therefore what kind of death? Staying in the only safe city for months, no, years like this could be one way. However, no one can be sure that the rule of monsters cannot enter cities will continue forever. Instead of continuing to huddle in a small dark room while fearing for the future, it's better to go outside. Use all her ability to learn, train, and fight. If she ended up dying after using all her strength, at the very least she would not need to lament whims of the past and regret a lost future. Run. Charge forward. Then disappear. Like a fleeting shooting star burning up upon entering the atmosphere. Holding on to that single thought, Asuna had left the inn, and stepped out into the wilderness of the MMORPG world, of which she didn't know a single piece of terminology. She chose her own weapon, and relying on the one skill she learned, reached the bottom of the dungeon that no one had been to before. Then today, Friday, December 2nd, at 4 a.m., Asuna had fainted due to, most likely, a natural neural reflex from the fatigue of continuously fighting, and her path should have come to an end. In the starting city's Black Iron Palace, near the left side on the Monument of Life, the name Asuna, run through by a horizontal line, should have been neatly inscribed, and everything would have ended, is how it should have been. And yet, unnecessary. Asuna again squeezed out that single word again. The dark. Haired, single-handed sword user crouching four meters. Away from her lowered his night-colored eyes. Her first impression of him was that he was a little older than she was, but that unexpectedly naive gesture made her furrow. Her brow slightly. However, a few seconds later, the man's mouth formed a cynical smile that overrode her previous impression. I didn't save you. A low quiet murmur. It sounded youthful, but something in. It camouflaged his age this time, too. Then, why didn't you leave me there? What I saved, was the map data you have. If you secluded. Yourself near the front lines for as long as four days, you. Should have mapped a considerable amount of unexplored areas. It would be a bit wasteful if it disappeared along with you. With this logic and pragmatism pushed onto her, she took a deep breath. The importance of life and how everyone should team up and work together, up to now, when people in the city had told her such things she had immediately cut them down. With words only, of course, and she thought of doing that now, but couldn't come up with any reasonable responses. Then, just take it. With a low mutter, she opened her main window, navigating through the tabs with a hand motion that she 
had finally gotten accustomed to recently, she accessed her map data and copied it all to a parchment item. She turned it into an object and took it out as a small scroll, and then tossed it near the man's feet. With this, you've achieved your objective, right? Then, I will be going. Pushing on the grass with her hand, she stood up, but wobbled slightly. Judging from the window's time display, she calculated that she had slept for seven hours since she fell, but it seemed that she had not fully recovered from her exhaustion yet. However, she still had three spare rapiers left. She had decided earlier that she would not leave the tower until the last rapier had only half its durability. She had many unanswered questions. Through what kind of means had the gray-coated one-handed sword user moved? Her from the depths of the dungeon to the forest clearing? Even accepting that he had moved her, why had he especially gone to the trouble of moving her outside, instead of a safe area in the dungeon? Even so, she didn't think it was something that she needed to turn around and ask. Therefore, in order to return to the dungeon that towered darkly from above the tree grove to the left, Asuna tried to take a step forward. But, just before she could wait, Fencer-san. Asuna ignored it and took a few steps forward, but the speech that followed after made her feet stop. You, too, are basically working hard to clear the game. Right? Not just to die in the dungeon. Then, wouldn't it be better if you show your face at the meeting? Meeting? After she murmured that with her back still turned, the swordsman's voice reached her in an altered tone over the gentle breeze within the forest. This afternoon, in the town of Talbana, that is the closest to the dungeon, the first first-floor boss strategy conference is supposed to be held three. Since the floating castle Aincrad had a tapering structure, of course the first floor on the lowest level was the widest. The first floor was almost perfectly circular, with a diameter of 10 kilometers, and an area of about 80 square kilometers. To use a reference for comparison, Kawaga. City in Saitama Prefecture has an area of 110 square kilometers and a population of over 300,000 people. For its huge size, the first floor actually held a lot of geographic variety. On the southern edge was the starting city, surrounded by a rampart that drew a semicircle around it with a diameter of one kilometer. In the grasslands surrounding the City, mainly boar and wolf-type animals, were prevalent. With worm-beetle-and dash, wasp-type insect monsters also inhabiting the area, northwest of the grassland was a deep wide forest, and towards the northeast there was a lake region. After passing through either of the two there were mountains, valleys, and ruins that contained monsters waiting to ambush passing players, and on the far northernmost edge. Of the floor, there stood a 300-meter-wide, 100-meter-tall squat tower, the first-floor labyrinth. In many places on the first floor, there existed many small and medium-sized towns and villages other than the starting city, but the largest of them, though even then, it was only about 200 meters from edge to edge, was the town situated in the valley closest to the labyrinth. Talbana the first time players arrived at this town lined with huge windmills was three weeks after the official service of SAO began. At that point, the total number of deaths had actually reached 1800. The mysterious female fencer and I set out together, that is, while maintaining a certain distance between ourselves, we left the forest and arrived at Talbana's north gate. The purple letters, inner area, flowed into my view, showing I had entered a safe town area. At that moment, I felt a heavy fatigue on my shoulders, and I involuntarily let out a sigh. If I was so exhausted, just from heading out from this town. Early this morning, I thought that the rapier user walking behind me must surely feel worse. But when I turned around, her feet covered by knee-high boots did not seem 
to waver. I didn't think it was at all possible for one to completely recover from the exhaustion of three continuous days of hunting with just a few hours of sleep, so she must be straining herself as always. I had thought about telling her that she should at least relax her body and mind. Although in the virtual world, those two are essentially the same when returned to town, but the atmosphere between us didn't seem to allow idle talk like that at all. Instead, I turned toward the rapier user and spoke very business-like words. The meeting is supposed to take place in the town center at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. The face hidden by the cloth had moved slightly up and down. However, her feet did not stop, and the slender body passed by in front of me. The breeze that blew in the valley town caused her cape to flutter behind her. I opened my mouth slightly, but unable to find anything more to say, I closed it wordlessly. Thinking about it, I, who had been solo playing hard for three weeks, was not qualified to seek interaction with others. Up until now, I had only been spending every day protecting my own life, after all. A strange girl. Two, suddenly hearing that murmured behind me, I turned my gaze away from the back of the rapier user and looked around once again. I thought she would soon die, but she did not. No matter how you look at it, she is a net game beginner, but her skill is fearsome. What kind of person is she? The high-pitched voice continued, ending its sentences with a special nasal inflection. The speaker was a truly nimble-looking player that was more than a head shorter than me, who by no means had a large build in the first place. Her armor, like mine, consisted of full-body cloth and leather. Her weapons were a small claw strapped on her left waist and throwing nails on her right waist. These were not weapons regularly used by those who reach the front lines, but this person's greatest weapon was something else. Do you know something about that fencer? I reflexively inquired, but knowing what the opponent's reply would be, I grimaced. The claw user did not betray my expectations as she held up five fingers and said, I'll sell it cheap. 500 core. Her grinning face had one big distinct feature. On both her Cheeks were three distinct animal-like whiskers drawn on with a makeup item. Matched with her curly auburn hair, her appearance was reminiscent of a certain rodent. One time in the past, I asked why she used such markings. However, I only received the angry outburst of don't ever ask the reason why a girl puts on makeup reply, immediately followed by the statement I will tell you for 100,000 COR so I had no choice to hurriedly backed down. Someday, when I find an ultra-rare item, I really will pay. That 100,000 COR, as this secret vow continued to stick in. My mind, I sourly replied. I feel awkward about buying a girl's information, so I will. Refrain from doing it. Nighihai, you have a good heart. The person who said these words that were at the limit of Shamelessness and laughed was most likely Ankrad's first informant, the one known as Argo the Rat. If you chat with Rat for five minutes, you'll end up paying for 100 COR worth of stories without knowing it. B. Careful, that was a warning by someone. However, the actual Argo had said that she had not once sold information of doubtful authenticity for money. She said that she would only treat it as merchandise after she determined that a story had value, made sure to pay an appropriate information fee to the source of the story, and also collected as much of her own evidence as possible. Thinking about it, if a false story was sold even once, then the reliability of the informant would drop, so the business of information gathering possessed a different kind of danger and anxiety compared to gathering material items in dungeons and selling to NPCs in towns. Although it was a kind of a sexist question, why would a female player choose this kind of job, 
is something I inevitably thought whenever I saw Argo's face. But even if I inquired, the most she would say would be another 100,000 COR as an answer, so instead I asked another question after giving a cough. So? Today once again, you aren't here for normal business. Talk, but as a proxy negotiator as usual? Then, Argo grimaced this time, and after quickly glanced. Left and right on the street, she pushed my back with her. Fingertips and made us move toward a nearby alleyway. The boss strategy conference was still two hours away, so there were not many players here yet, but it seemed like. This was a conversation that she didn't want to be heard by. Others just in case. The reason was, because it had to do. With her reputation as an informant, most likely. Argo stopped when we were deep inside a small alley, and then leaned her back against a house, inhabited only by NPCs, of course, and nodded again. Well, yeah. It's been raised to 29,800 core. The offer has reached 29.8k COR now, huh? I smiled wryly, then shrugged my shoulders. Sorry, but no matter how much COR is offered, my answer remains the same. I don't want to sell it. I also already told the client that the last time Argo's main business is as an informant, but by using her very high AGI, agility, stats for movement, she also maintains a side business as a messenger. Normally it was just delivering oral messages or short messages on a scroll, but the person who had been contacting me through her over the past week seemed to be a slightly complicated, or rather, troublesome client. He, or she, wanted to buy my one-handed longsword, a Neil Blade, plus six, three S3D. The weapon enhancement system in SAO was simple. Compared to those of recent MMORPGs, there were five kinds of enhancement parameters, sharpness, quickness, accuracy, heaviness, and durability. You could try to perform an ability enhancement on a weapon for one of those categories by commissioning a NPC or a player smith to do so. The factors of requiring material items that are exclusively used for raising weapon parameters and also having a fixed probability of failure were similar to other MMORPG titles. Whenever the enhancement of any of the parameters succeeded, the item's name in the equipment window would have a plus one or plus two appended to it. However, that number's breakdown could only be seen when the weapon was directly tapped and its properties window was opened. During player-to-player -player sales of weapons, saying an item had accuracy plus one, heaviness plus two, and such quickly became tedious, so instead, it had become custom. To use a shorter abbreviation, for example, a plus four item with a breakdown of accuracy plus one, heaviness plus two, and durability plus one would be denoted by the phrase 1A2H1D. In other words, my Anil Blade plus six, three S3D was enhanced by sharpness plus three and durability plus three. Having an item of this quality on the first floor actually required a lot of patience and luck. Because of the situation within Ancrad, not many players have trained smithing skills, which have no direct relation to the rate of survival, and although the NPC blacksmiths do have a truly appropriate dwarvish appearance, their level of skill is very unreliable. Considering that my weapon, Anil Blade, was also the reward from quest that required a lot of hardship to clear, the current specs of this sword could be said to make it almost the most coveted item on the first floor. However, that being said, it's still only a beginner's equipment, after all. I could only enhance it a few more times at most, so around the third or fourth floor, I would have to upgrade to my next sword and reforge it from the beginning again. For the above reasons, I wasn't able to guess the motives of Argo's client, who wanted this sword so much he would pay. The undoubtedly large amount of 29.8k COR at the present time. If this was a normal face-to-face -face transaction, I could 
ask for the reason directly, but that doesn't work when I don't even know the client's name. The hush money the person paid was 1,000 COR, right? At my inquiry, Argo calmly nodded and said, that's right. Are you willing to raise? Hmm, 1K huh, HMM. Hush money was the amount of COR that X sure 3. Who? Wanted to buy my sword, paid Argo to keep his name. Hidden from me. If I decided to pay 1100 COR, Argo would. Instant message her client to inform them of that, and ask if. They would like to counter it raising to 1200 core. If yes, was. The reply, then this time I would be forced to choose. Whether to pay 1300 COR, or not. If I won this raise, and, counter battle, then I would learn the opponent's name, but. I would end up losing a substantial amount of money in this sword transaction at a fearful rate as a result. No matter how you think about it, that would be idiotic to the extreme. Good grief, you can't just sell information, since even when you're not selling something, it's a business, huh? That really is one impressive merchant spirit. While I complained, Argo's whiskered cheeks relaxed into a snicker. That's the true joy of this business. When I sell someone information, at that instant, the story that someone bought. Such and such information is born. It was probably an absolute taboo for people like lawyers in the real world to reveal a customer's name, but such a rule didn't exist for the rat whose motto was sell all the information that can be sold. The people who became her Clients had to be prepared from the beginning for their names to sold, but since her abilities as an informant was first class, one couldn't complain about it. Please tell me when a female player wants my personal information, I'll buy her information. As I said that while sighing, Argo once again gave a jolly laugh, but then she changed her expression. Then, I will tell the client the offer was rejected this time. As well. Also, that this deal is impossible too. See you. Then, Kibu. Waving her hand, she turned around and, with a nimbleness that befitted her rat nickname, left the alley. After watching her curly auburn hair disappear into the crowd in an instant, I idly thought, that person surely won't die. After being trapped in death game SAO for a month, I have learned a few things. Just what was it that separated life and death among players? There existed an infinite number of minute factors. To this, like the number of potions you have in stock, or when it's time to quit dungeon exploring, but I think that the key factor existed in the center of those details was most likely whether one had their personal core that they unconditionally believed in or not. To put it another way, it was their ultimate weapon that they depend on in order to survive. In Argo's case, it was probably information. Dangerous. Monster locations or, conversely, the most efficient hunting locations, this person knew them all. Her belief in knowledge created a sense of peace within her and increased her chances of surviving. So then, for me, Carito's core was namely the sword on my back. To be precise, it was that certain mental state. That occurred when my body and sword completely became. 1. I had not fully been in that zone many times, but the single thought I want to make that world my own someday, and I will not die before then had kept me alive till now. The reason Anil Blade's enhancement was sharpness, plus 3. And durability, plus 3 while ignoring quickness and accuracy, was because the former two were merely simple number. Spec-ups, while the latter were system-assisted. Enhancements that changed the feel of a sword swing. However, then that means that rapier user I met today at the front lines of the labyrinth. What was her core? I did move her unconscious body outside the labyrinth. I can't really say how I did it myself. But, on the other hand, even had I not been there, the moment that the next kobold appeared, she would have unconsciously stood up and used 
that ultra-high-speed linear like a shooting star to kill. The enemy, I couldn't help but think that. Just what on earth drove her to fight such a blood-curdling battle, and how had she managed to survive until now? It was probably a strength I didn't know about. I should have paid Argo the 500 COR. Murmuring with a small shake of my head, I then looked up. At the sky. The windmill towers that were the symbol of the town of Talbana had their white-painted outer walls slightly tinged. Orange from the afternoon light. The time should be a bit. After 3 p.m., to prepare for the approaching lengthy boss. Strategy conference, I should go fill my stomach. Somewhere. The meeting starting at 4 p.m. would be, without a doubt, stormy. The reason was that today, one type of player that had remained hidden in the world of SAO would show up in front of the numerous normal players for the first time. That's right, new players and experienced beta testers, a gap that was hard to fill lay between them. For Argo the Rat, who sold anything that could be sold, there was only one type of information that she would never make a transaction on. That is, the identities of the original beta testers. No, it wasn't just Argo. Fellow original beta testers, despite having different faces from before, may have had hunches about their respective identities. Based on each other's names or tones, but they would never come into contact without each other. In fact, it was like that just now as well. Argo and I were both certain of each other's identity as a beta tester, but that was the only topic we circumvented in. Our conversations, no matter how many light years we had, to travel to do so. The reason was simple. When a beta tester's identity was discovered, his life could be at stake. Not from the danger of being killed by monsters in some dungeon. But while walking around outside safe areas, new players could execute you. Because they believed that all the responsibility for the deaths of no less than 2,000 people in the first month belonged to the original beta testers. And I could not completely deny this blame. 4. As soon as selection of food for the past 3, or was it 4, days consisted of the cheapest black bread from an NPC baker, and a bottle of water that could be filled as many times as you liked from the fountains that were scattered throughout town. Even in the real world, she hadn't enjoyed eating that much, but the food and drink in this virtual world was so bland that it was beyond description. No matter how much you gorged yourself on luxurious food, not even a single morsel would reach your real body. She thought it would be better if the food system and the sensations of hunger and satiety did not exist at all, but when your stomach was empty three times a day at mealtimes, the hunger would not dissipate until you had eaten some virtual food. Even so, she had recently become able to cut off this fake hunger by using willpower only when she went into the labyrinth, but after returning to town, she had to eat. She bought the cheapest items on the menu as an act of minimal resistance, but she found it strangely annoying that even a dry and coarse piece of black bread seemed delicious in and of itself as she tore it apart and chewed it. Little by little, at the center of the town of Talbana, Asuna sat on a simple would bench in the corner of an open fountain space and continued to move her mouth to chew while keeping her hood low over her eyes. She had finally finished half of the piece of bread, which was comparatively big for a price of one. C.O.R. When that bread looks pretty delicious. That familiar voice was coming from her right. She stopped. Her hand that was just about to tear off a piece of the bread, and threw a sharp glance. The person who stood there was the man she had just left, at the town entrance a few minutes ago. The black-haired and gray-coated one-handed swordsman. A troublesome person that had used some method earlier to move her outside after she had fainted inside the depths of a labyrinth and had forcibly reconnected her path, which should have been severed then.
The moment she realized that, her cheeks grew hot. Even. Though she had said her ambition was to die, he was seeing. Her here, shamelessly eating a meal as soon as she came. Back alive. A strong embarrassment ran through her entire body, and she did not know what to do at that moment. As she remained awkwardly stiffened like that while holding the half-moon-shaped black bread in both hands, the man coughed slightly, and then said in a low whisper, May I sit next to you? Normally, she would have left the bench without a word, and moved away without turning back in this kind of situation. However, right now, she was assailed by a stunned confusion she rarely experienced in this world, leaving her unable to react. Perhaps interpreting as soon as stiffness as a sign of approval, the man sat down at the furthest distance possible away from her on the right side of the bench and began searching through his coat pocket. What he took out was a round, black-colored object, a black bread worth one core. At that instant, Asuna momentarily forgot about her embarrassment and confusion, and instead looked at the man in amazement, judging by his ability to be able to go that deep into the labyrinth and the grade of the equipment all over his body, this swordsman should easily earn enough money to choose from a decent course menu at a restaurant. In that case, he was either a super thrifty person, or you seriously find it delicious, don't you? Without realizing it, she had asked the question aloud in a small voice. Hearing this, the man raised his eyebrow outrageously, and then nodded deeply. Of course. Since coming to this town, I eat it every day. Well, I add a bit of a twist. A twist. Not understanding his meaning, she shook her head under. The hood. Instead of answering, the swordsman put his hand in the pocket opposite from the one earlier, and took out a small, unglazed pot. He put it on the center of the bench, and said, Try using this on your bread. The phrase, use it on the bread, momentarily confused her, but she then realized it was a net game phrase, similar to use the key on the door, or use the bottle on the fountain. She hesitantly extended her right hand, and tapped the pot lid with her finger. From the pop-up menu, which appeared, she selected use, and then her fingertip started to glow with a faint purple light. In this state, which was called target selection mode, she then touched the half-eaten black bread in her left hand. Then, with a small sound effect, one side of the bread was smeared white. The thing that had been fully, or rather, thickly applied to it was, no matter how you looked at it. Cream? Where did you get such a thing? This is the quest reward from Cows of the Counterattack that I accepted one village back. Though, not many people do it, since it takes some time to clear. After giving this answer with a serious face, the swordsman also used the pot on his bread with a practice gesture. Then, with its contents, presumably used up, the pot shattered with a small sound and light effect. The swordsman opened his mouth incredibly wide and bit into the bread that was now similarly had a heap of cream applied to it. Hearing the sound of his chewing, Asuna's own stomach felt not the unpleasant pain that she had been experiencing for quite some time, but instead the onslaught of a healthy hunger. She hesitantly bit into the cream-covered black bread still held in her left hand. At that moment, the taste of the normally dry and coarse bread spread inside her mouth as if it had transformed into a certain country-style cake with a heavy texture. The cream was sweet and smooth, along with a refreshingly yogurt-like sour taste. As she was struck by a feeling of fulfillment that numbed even the insides of her cheeks, Asuna dreamily stuffed the bread into her mouth, with two, three bites. When she suddenly came back to her senses, the food item that had been in her hands had completely disappeared, without literally leaving even a single morsel. When she looked beside her with a start, she seemed to have finished 
two seconds or so before the swordsman. Again, a strong embarrassment rose intensely within her and she wanted to escape from this place, but having been treated to food, it would have been very bad manners. After repeatedly taking several breaths and somehow calming herself down, Asuna said in a vanishingly faint voice, Thank you for the food. You're welcome. Having finished his own meal, the swordsman brushed off his leather glove-covered hands, and then continued. The cow quest I mentioned earlier. If you want to do it, I can give you some tips. If you do it efficiently, you can finish it in two hours. To be honest, her heart was moved. With that yogurt, cream, even the one cor black bread, could become a magnificent feast. It was a false fulfillment from the taste recreation engine. But she wanted to taste it once more, no, to eat it every day if possible, is what Asuna couldn't help but think. However, Asuna lowered her eyes and shook her head gently. Beneath her hood. It's okay. I did not come this far to this town just to eat. Delicious things. Hmm. Then, for what purpose? The swordsman's voice, while it could not be said to be in especially beautiful voice, did not have a single part of it. That was unpleasant to the ear, and it had the cadence like that of a boy somehow. Maybe because of that, Asuna spoke, without being conscious of it the thing deep inside her. Heart that she had spoken of to no one since coming to this world. It's to prove that I exist. Instead of locking myself in a room of a town in, like I did at the beginning, and slowly rotting away, I want to be myself up to the last moment. Even if I lose to a monster and die, I don't want to lose to this game, to this world. No matter what. Asuna, Yuki Asuna's 15 years of life had been a series of battles. Beginning with her kindergarten entrance exam, she had had an endless number of challenges big and small imposed on her one after another, and she had overcome them all. It was set so that even one failure would make her a worthless person, so she continued to brush aside that heavy pressure. A new challenge with the name of Sword Art Online had come upon her at the end of these 15 years of fighting, but she probably could not beat this challenge with rules and a culture that were far too unknown and far too different. This was a type of battle that a single person's strength could not do anything about. This was the required winning condition, reach the top of the 100-floor floating castle, and beat the final enemy. However, one month after the game started, one-fifth of the players had already fallen, and furthermore, most of them were experienced veterans that were confident in their abilities. The remaining fighting force was too small, and the distance that blocked their way was too long. Asuna said all that in intermittent bits, as if the faucet of her heart had been loosened and drops were slowly dripping down. As she had given her fragmentary monologue that probably didn't have any consistency, the black-haired swordsman had listened in silence, but eventually Asuna's voice was cut off by the evening breeze, and then he quietly whispered one small word. Sorry, after a few seconds, Asuna wondered, why would he say? That? She met the swordsman for the first time today, so there should be no reason for him to apologize. When she glanced at the person beside her from beneath her hood, the gray-coated man that was sitting lightly on the bench rested both elbows on his knees and hung his head down. His lips moved slightly, and she heard his voice again. Sorry, what brought about this current situation, or, too? Put it another way, what pushed you this far, is in a sense. My. However, she could not hear the rest of what he said. Because the wind-powered clock bell of the particularly. Huge windmill that stood tall at the center of the town rang. Loudly. It was 4 p.m. in the afternoon. The time the meeting. Started. Looking around, Asuna saw that players had gathered at the nearby fountain space for some time now, without her being aware of it.
Let's go. It's the conference you invited me to. Asuna remarked that and stood up. The swordsman also nodded and slowly stood up. What had he been going to say? She probably wouldn't talk to him again anyway, so it didn't matter. But in a corner within that thought, there was a feeling like that of a small prickling thorn. I want to know. I don't want to know. Which of those? Feelings were stronger, even Asuna herself did not understand very well. 5. 44 people. That was the total number of players gathered at Talbana's Fountain Plaza, compared to my predictions, or rather my expectations, all I could say was that this was far too low. In SAO, the maximum size of a party was six people, and by adding Together eight of those you could made a raid party with a total of 48 people. From my experience during the beta test, period, if we were going to try beating the floor boss with zero deaths, it would be difficult without at least two raid groups to switch between while fighting, but these numbers couldn't even fill up one full raid party. I sucked in a breath in order to sigh, but I lost my chance to breathe out. This many. It was because the rapier user in a hooded cape whispered. That from behind me to my left. I involuntarily turned. Around and asked. Many. This number of people? Yes. Because, they gathered here for the first challenge. Against this floor's boss monster, right? Even though the. Chance of complete annihilation exists. I see. I nodded, and then looked at the faces of the warriors. Gathered in groups of threes and fives around the plaza. Again. There were five or six players here whose names I knew, and vice versa. Additionally, there were around fifteen of. These people who I had seen previously at the towns near. The front line and in the labyrinth. As for the remaining twenty dash. Plus people, this was the first time I saw most of their. Faces. Of course, the male-to-female ratio was extremely skewed. The only female player that I could see at a quick glance was the rapier user, but that couldn't be discerned just by looking because of the hood she wore low over their eyes, so the other people here, besides me should be thinking that everyone here was male. Argo the rat was also here, leaning against a high wall on the other side of the plaza but she would not be participating in the boss capture operation.